And so when I talked to Matt last night, uh, I thought I thought he was joking when he asked if I wanted to preach, and I said, "Sure, you know, if I can, um, kind of real quick redo a, a sermon that I had already. Um, this is a sermon that I had preached in Spain um, earlier this year when we our church did a series on the Holy Spirit and different uh, pastors, elders talked about different aspects of the Holy Spirit and." Um, the, the sermon I preached was about the spirit of adoption and how the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. So um, I uh, put that back into English and um, uh, took some stuff out and changed a few things, and uh, hopefully the Lord will use it this morning. So let me pray before I... Well, I'm going to read the passage and then I'm going to pray. Let's do that. Uh, I'm reading from the ESV at Romans 8, starting in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit... If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, um, we ask that you will speak to us this morning. Uh, Use your word, your Holy Spirit, um, to cry out in our hearts, to make us like Christ, and to glorify yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, I want to ask three questions um, of, the, of this passage of Scripture. And the three questions are, what is the spirit of, the, of adoption? Uh, and a, practically, what, what does the spirit of adoption do? The second question is, who gets it? Or who gets him? And then the third question, where we'll spend most of our time, is why do we need the spirit of adoption? So quickly, just looking at these verses that I read this morning, uh, I noticed six things uh, that the spirit of the adoption is. Firstly, in verses 9 and 11, the spirit of adoption lives in us. Verse 9 says, the spirit of God dwells in you. Verse 11 says, the spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. The Holy Spirit lives in believers. Secondly, uh, the spirit of adoption is the spirit of Christ. Verse 10 calls it the spirit of Christ. There's this um, fellowship and intimacy in the Trinity, in our God that is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that even one person, the Holy Spirit, gets called with the name of another person and gets called the Spirit of Christ. They're, they're that 
uh, connected, intimate in fellowship with each other. Thirdly, the spirit of adoption is our helper to kill sin. Verse 13 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Uh, God commands us to put to death the deeds of the body, to kill sin in our life, but he sends us the spirit of adoption to help us do that. He doesn't give us a task and say, do it on your own. God himself lives inside of us to make that happen. He does what he commands. He says, cross the street, and then he picks us up and carries us across the street. Fourthly, the the Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption is our leader. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 14, uh, he directs us. He tells us where to go. He causes us to cry, Abba, Father. Verse 15. And then finally, in verse 16, uh, Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit is a witness to us that we are children of God. It's uh, something that's inside of us but testifies and reminds us and tells us the truth that we are children of God. The book of Romans, I'm sure uh, a lot of you know this, but the book of Romans is um, the Apostle Paul setting down to write to a church in Rome uh, a theology. A lot of times he wrote letters to address situations, to deal with a sin that was going on, or a, a time of suffering or persecution, or a problem in leadership. But the book of Romans isn't really a response to some kind of issue like that. It's, it's Paul saying, this is what you need to believe about God. I'll, I'll write a book, a really, really long letter, and tell you the things that are true about God. And so um, there's a richness in Revelation um, and some beautiful, uh, glorious truths uh, we learn in the book of uh, Romans, sorry, not Revelation. Um, but there's something that's incredible and essential uh, to the Christian faith and to the gospel that never gets mentioned up until chapter 8. Paul spends a lot of time talking about um, sin. Uh, he talks about Jesus. He talks about the law and grace. But he never talks about one topic until chapter 8. And here in chapter 8 of the book of Romans, by the inspiration of God, begins to talk about the fact that we are children of God. Paul never mentions the idea that we are sons of God until chapter 8. And then he just starts hammering on it over and over and over again. Verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Verse 17, if children, then heirs. Over and over, Paul is trying to, God through Paul is trying to tell us something. We, today, if we want to emphasize something, we say it louder, or we write it in bold. Uh, If we're writing an email, underline it. Uh, But in Jewish culture, they repeat things that they want you uh, to pay attention to. So if you hear something said over and over again, especially four or five times, like Paul says it right here, pay attention. God's shouting to the church in Rome. He's shouting to us through the Bible and the pen of Paul to say, you are my children. Believe it. I was reading to, to try to get a, what's, what is the legal 
um, concept of being the son or the daughter, the child of somebody. Uh, the, the word is sonship. What, what's the legal situation? What does it officially mean to be uh, the son of somebody? And basically the definition is it's the, the status of being officially the child of someone else. This is what has happened to us. We, we weren't the children of someone and we became the children of someone. God chose you. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce, I'm not going to get too much into Bible commentaries or anything like this, but I loved this quote uh, from F.F. F. Bruce about Romans 8. He said, In the Roman world of the first century after Christ, an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was no whit in no way inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature, biologically, and might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. So this, the situation, um, sons were super important uh, in, in this culture, and the situation is that sometimes a, a father who had um, a business or property or something that was valuable to him, uh, if he didn't have a son, he, he would adopt one. He would go find an orphan, somebody who needed a dad uh, that, he, that he chose to love and would make that person his son. Or sometimes even a father would um, be disgraced by his biological son, uh, be rejected by his bi- biological son, not, not want that son to be the one that carries on the family name and business and property and would choose someone. And so to be adopted in the first century by someone uh, was not just a rescue out of an orphanage, but it was this affection and this uh, love that, that just went out and sought someone who needed it and said, I choose you, I want you, you're valuable to me. And that's what God has done with us. We are adopted. Take a minute to think about your own personal relationship to God. If you consider yourself a, a believer, a Christian, think about when you first believed that God was real that Jesus was God, and that Jesus really came to earth to die on a cross and save sinners. Probably when you think back to that, uh, there's a person or some people that come to mind. Somebody who helped you learn that story of Jesus. Somebody who gave you a Bible. Maybe somebody who taught you in a class. A Christian parent, a Christian friend, a Christian neighbor. But I want to pause for a second. Even though we, th- we, we do praise God for the Christian influences and family a lot of times that he's put in our life and say that God only has children. He doesn't have grandchildren. God only has children. He doesn't have grandchildren. Your biological parents don't matter in God's kingdom. My mom and dad are Christians. Um, and they took me to church when I was a kid and taught me about Jesus. Their parents are Christians, and I'll thank God for them until the day that I die. But my parents could never believe in Jesus for me. Their spirit could never cry out, Abba, Father, for me. I had to believe. And I I say this because I I have so many friends, especially back in Spain, but I think... um, in when you're in a culture where it's still 
socially acceptable and popular to be a Christian. Like here in the Midwest, there's still a lot of benefits to being a Christian, at least culturally, that it's really easy to think about my my grandma taught Sunday school, or I asked Jesus into my heart when I was a little kid, um, or a priest poured some water on my head when I was a baby, or I'm a member of a church, that those things save you. But the, but those same people, and I love them dearly, today don't have any love in their heart for God today. They, oh, don't, don't, I, I asked Jesus into my heart, don't talk about it. Once saved, always saved, man, come on. I believe in God, but they don't care about him today. And they thought a good deed in the past that they did or that their family member did would save them, and it's just not true. When you think like that, people, when they think like that, they're like the prodigal son. Uh, I think I have a picture of the prodigal son. I don't know if it'll show up. And he went to his father for the benefit of the inheritance, but he didn't have any love for him. He said, I I want the benefits of this relationship, but I don't want any responsibility in this relationship. For, For the prodigal son in that time to go to his dad and say, give me the inheritance that's coming to me, uh, was to say, I wish you were dead because I don't want the responsibilities of taking care of you in your old age or working in your farm, uh, but I do want the money that I'll get when you die. I reject you. Give me what I deserve for being born to you. And like the prodigal son in Christianity, in, in a lot of churches, many, many people want the reward of going to heaven, but they don't love the Father. So the question isn't whether you went to, to church when you were a kid or your grandma was a really great person or you asked Jesus into your heart one day. The question is, do you love the Father today? But the good news is, just like your biological family can't save you, their soul can't cry out for your soul, in the same way, your past doesn't keep you from being adopted by the Father. Jesus only came to save one kind of person, sinners. I was, I think, 17 years old. One summer, I was on the the camp team of HLG, where you'd go travel around and work at church camps in northern Missouri, and I got assigned to the same camp as Matt, and I remember we were at Camp Enlow, and everybody had to to share something with the campers, and uh, I think Matt was quoting somebody else, but he stood up and he said to these kids, he said, I just want you to know Jesus only can save one kind of person. There's only one kind of person in the world that can be a Christian, and that's a sinner. If you don't believe you're a sinner, then Jesus didn't come to save you. That's what he said. I'm here for the sick people. God wants to adopt one class of person, orphans. Without Jesus, we're all spiritual orphans. It's the truth. Whether you see it or not, without Jesus, you're a spiritual orphan. But until you see it, until you know that you are bankrupt morally and spiritually, the rescue of adoption won't mean anything to you. And if you haven't been adopted by this God, by our Father, I pray that one day the Holy Spirit shows you how you are a spiritual orphan without Jesus, and in that moment you cry out to him to be rescued and adopted. So the third question, the the main thing I want to say today is why do we need the spirit of adoption? What does he do? Who gets him? Orphans. And the third question is why do we need him? Let's look at verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, 
Verse 16 says, we need the spirit of adoption to know that we are children of God, to be a witness to us. I think if we're, if we're honest, we all know those seasons of doubting and wondering uh, if we really belong to the Lord or not. Even the strongest Christian goes through valleys and, and spiritual uh, darkness. And maybe you're in a time like that right now, a time of darkness and doubting. And the Bible says here in Romans 8 that the Spirit helps us to cry out, Abba, Father. There are other words for Father that Paul could have used whenever he wrote uh, this part of Romans 8. He, there, there are words for um, the man who's married to my mom, to uh, words for my legal guardian. There's, there's even less tender ways of saying Father or Dad. But he, he intentionally chooses Abba, a tender, close word, a sweet word. Imagine for a minute that you're a father. For some of you, that won't be that hard to imagine, but uh, maybe half of you. Uh, imagine, you're, imagine you're a father and you have a son. And I'm just using the male gender because that's what the Bible is using right here. Um, I love women too. I think a mom and a daughter, it would be just as good of an illustration. But let's just stick with the gender that's here right now. Imagine you're a father and you have a son. He turns 20, moves out of your house, he rejects you, your, your faith, your values. He won't speak to you. He says Christianity's a lie and you're a hypocrite. He won't come to holidays or, or to your birthday. He won't answer when you call, but you still love him. You pray for him and you wait for him and the years go by. And one day you learn that your son has cancer. He's dying in the hospital. His friends want you to know. And so as soon as you hear, of course, you drop whatever you're doing and you rush to the hospital. You go to the, the desk and find out where he is and you, you run up to his room. And as you rush into his room, you see him there in the bed, weak and frail, hooked up to the machines. And his eyes crack open. And he says, Daddy. But family, we aren't the daddy in that story. We are the son who has rejected the daddy. But because of Jesus' death in our place, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us in the father that we rejected and refused until he overcame our rejection. He has put the Holy Spirit into us and that Holy Spirit now makes us want him, makes us cry out daddy, makes us see that we need him. Are you in a dark place? Has your heart grown cold toward God? I just want to offer you the hope and say, cry out to him. Let the Holy Spirit, let the spirit of adoption do what Romans 8 says it's here to do, to cry out in your heart. Let the spirit of adoption make you cry out, Daddy. Are you wondering, am I even a Christian? Just cry out to him and ask him. He'll welcome you. The prodigal son came home. This is what I love about the story of the prodigal son. Luke 15. So the prodigal son was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, verse 16, and no one gave him anything. And then he came to himself and said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. 
And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I love this because Jesus, knowing his father and his father's attitude towards anyone who comes to the father, says, this is what it's like. I know the guy that you need to uh, repent towards, and I know how he's going to act when you repent. Believe me, I've seen it happen thousands of times with my own eyes. Jesus, for eternity, has watched what, what the Father feels like towards sinners, and this is the example he gives us. Not a judge who said, okay, I'll forgive it this time, but you need to do better. It's a, it's a, a man who runs out of his house and gives his repentant son more than he asked for. And when Jesus tells us the Father will welcome us like this, I believe it. Another reason we need the spirit of adoption, we need to be saved from our sins. We need to be adopted by the Father. That's true. But another reason we need the spirit of adoption in verse 17 says, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We are going to suffer. There's not a question in life whether or not you're going to face hard times, whether you're going to suffer. The question is whether you suffer with him or despising him. I think I used to read this verse and and think, geez, do I need to go find a way to suffer with Jesus? Like, do I, should I be making sure that I'm suffering with him? Like, can I go offend some Christ, some non-Christians today so they get mad at me or or get in trouble at work or school or something so that I make sure I'm suffering with Jesus. And I, I don't think that's what God is saying in the Bible. He's saying, provided you suffer with him, because you're going to suffer. So are you going to do it with him or not? There's an amazing word in verse 17, heirs. Heirs, that means we inherit something. Children are heirs of what their parents owned. When the parents die, the children inherit inherit what their what their parents owned. Jesus isn't just our God and our master, but he's also our older brother. And we inherit something with him, even though our father doesn't have to die for us to inherit it. So the question is, if I'm an heir, what do I own? What's my inheritance? I, I wanted to investigate this a little bit and see what is it that I'm supposed to receive. I mean, eternal life in heaven, uh, new earth, uh, that probably... But is there anything else that I'm supposed to inherit besides um, eternal life? And so um, I, I've tried to find what, it, what do people who know a lot more about the Bible think. Um, so I started studying and um, was really helped by John Piper and some other guys who, who have thought more about inheritance. Um, so let's look at Romans 4.13, one verse real quick, if you flip over a couple pages. I'm going to try to do this kind of quickly. Romans 4.13 says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So it's not a biological thing. This is, this is through faith, and Abraham and his descendants receive the world. Okay? 
Another place where this is talked about is in Galatians chapter 3, verse 29. I think it's up on the screen. And it says, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So it's not a, a biological, national, political thing anymore to be a descendant of Abraham. Uh, Israel's not Israel anymore. Israel is those everyone who belongs to Christ, no matter what your DNA or skin color is. So if we're in Christ, then we're heirs of whatever Abraham was an heir of. We are Abraham's offspring now, even Gentiles. So Romans 4 says we get the world. That's huge, right? Be nice to inherit the world? Well, we're going to. The, the problem with greed, this, I, this rabbit trail will connect, I promise. The problem with greed is our sense of timing is wrong. The desire is something, um, there's something good in that desire. The problem is the when and the how. Because when we're greedy, we're saying, I want something now. My way, I decide what I, what I need, and I would like it now, please. Life is this short, this short. And eternity is miles and miles and miles long. We're greedy because we don't believe in eternity. I'm convinced. This life is a vapor. It's fog that you see only if you wake up early. People who sleep in don't even see it. And eternity is forever. Don't get obsessed with this life. You may have suffering now. They're having fun. You may have suffering right now, but eternity is coming. Don't be like the prodigal son saying, give me now, give me now, give me now. Have patience and trust that your father will, in his perfect wisdom, give you what you need when you need it. I, I had a friend, um, he's a, a worker in um, Indonesia right now, and um, he didn't grow up in America, but he lived here for a while, and then he, he moved back overseas. And one thing that just shocked him about um, the American church is um, how, how we all want money. <laughs> uh, even good, solid evangelical churches are like, come, we'll teach you how to save more, we'll teach you how to be richer, and then you can real, leave a real legacy, and you can have true peace. And he just couldn't believe, he's like, peace? Financial peace? Because of your bank account? I thought it was because you belong to God, that would give you financial peace. And he said, what I watch all these American Christians doing, um, and it really convicted me, but he said, I watch all of you guys just running around working so hard for 60 or 70 years to save money so that you can live for 15 or 20 more years and then die, and you haven't stored up any treasures in heaven. He said, it's like, it's like we told a kid, um, hey, you need to work really hard from now, from age two, get a, get a job, get some chores, start a lemonade stand, and save it all until you're 10. And then when you're 10, stop and spend it all, enjoy it. And then when they're 12, they're going to be really disappointed because they got to live from 13 until 90 with nothing. And he says, that's what you guys are doing. You're, you, you think life is long, but it's short. But this is amazing. It's not just in eternity that all things are ours. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are, are yours. 
So another place where the Bible is telling us the world is ours as Christians. Verse 23, for you are Christ's and Christ is God's. The amazing word to me in in these verses is not that the world is ours. It's that death is ours. Death is mine. Death is mine. You can write that. What's the main point of the sermon today? Death is mine. What does it mean? How is death mine? How does death belong to me? Well, let's say I walk outside um, and there, there are two cars out there. My car is parked by Tim's. And Matt says, hey, is that your car? I say, yep, that's my car. What's it mean that, it, that it's my car? What's the difference between my car and Tim's car? My car does what I want it to do for me. It takes me where I want to go. I do it. I do with it whatever I want. It's mine. And death is mine. Death is mine. Romans 5, verse 3, says, More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. How can we rejoice in sufferings? How can we exult in tribulations, knowing that tribulation bring about perseverance, as the the version I memorized it as a kid said? How is that possible? Turn over one more page to Romans 8, the same chapter where we've been all morning. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Romans 8.28 says, All things work together for our good, even death. So how is this possible? Can any of these things separate me from the love of God? No, because they're mine. They're my servants. It says that, that we are more than conquerors, and so these things cannot separate us from God's love. How does that all work? What does it mean to be more than a conqueror? Well, to, to paraphrase John Piper, one answer is that you conquer something and you kill it. But to be more than a conqueror is you kill something, you don't kill something, you defeat it and it gets up and it becomes your servant. You can go into a, uh, invade a, a village and conquer it and just kill everybody. Or you can be more than a conqueror and say, you guys all work for me now. So all these things, persecution, suffering, pain, loss, death, disease, poverty, the gospel doesn't just say, you won't have those anymore. Joel Osteen says that, and that's not the gospel. The Bible doesn't say, you won't have those things. The Bible says, those things serve you. You're going to have them. You're probably going to have them more than non-believers. Those things now serve you. I like to listen uh, when older people talk about eternity and death, uh, because they're hopefully closer to it than I am. Um, maybe. maybe. I could die this afternoon. But when old people talk about death or eternity, I, I like to listen. And I remember a few years ago, I heard an old man say, death is like my car. It takes me where I want to go. He was a Christian, and his perspective was, I'm ready. Whenever, whenever death wants to serve me by taking me to, to the place where I really want to go, I'm ready. 
something I've been saying to myself um, as I've struggled um, in my adult life a little bit with anxiety and nervousness and um, nightmares, something I like to say is, all I can do is die. And that takes some of the teeth out of my irrational fears a little bit. All they can do is kill us. All I can do is die. All, all death can do to me is send me to the place where I want to go anyway. Paul was an old man when he wrote this book. Um, I love how God still uses the personality and the story of the writer to write his inspired scripture to us. And, Paul, and God is still using Paul in his life situation uh, to, to make this kind of a richer book. And so Paul's writing to us in Romans, um, and in verse 8.22, he says this, Imagine Paul as an old man, beat up, in jail, in a terrible jail, bad conditions, and he says in verse 22, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So even though Paul is already a son and he's been adopted, he's waiting for the final thing, a new body. God finished this adoption process, the final day in court, and give me that new body. I can imagine Paul and his pain and suffering Everything hurts. He can never rest. He can never sleep. He's saying, I'm ready for that new body. And I'm ready for a new mind. I'm ready for a new mind. I'm broken. A lot of you know uh, that in the summer of 2013, uh, it was really difficult for us. Uh, We came back to America briefly for a wedding um, to walk, for Cassie's sister to be married. And um, one day while we were back, uh, we were just supposed to be here a couple weeks. Uh, I got in a car wreck. No one got hurt, but um, it was really complicated legally because it was a rented van and it wasn't rented in my name and it was just a big mess. I was uh, in another state and didn't know anybody to help me out. And then that night, uh, whenever we came home, uh, a guy killed himself uh, and wrecked his truck into our house where we were staying while we were there, smashed down the wall of our daughter's bedroom and fell on her bed, but thankfully she wasn't in her bed. I was holding her on the couch because I was so stressed out about my day and the car wreck I had been in, the, uh, and then something worse happened. Um, and then so we uh, were getting ready to go back to Spain in a hotel the night before flying out and Cassie had a miscarriage and she was pregnant and um, we had to delay going back to Spain and and spent a day in the emergency room. And after these three traumatic events happening uh, in about 10 day time, um, we went back to Spain and, and things were okay for a while. And then several weeks later, I just start to have these anxiety attacks at night and extreme fear and nightmares of terrible things happening to our kids or our house, our apartment building. Um, And so many nights, the only thing I could do, a grown man curled up on my bed uh, with my knees pulled up to my chest and just said, 
be with me, Jesus. Be with me, Jesus. Be with me, Jesus. Over and over again until I fell asleep. It was a horrible time in my life. But ever since then, I've never doubted if I'm a Christian. In my whole life, I've doubted that I'm a Christian until the summer of 2013. I was a deacon here and led a community group, and I I was a missionary, and I wasn't sure if I belonged to the Lord. But ever since then, I, I haven't wondered if I'm a Christian because God's Spirit cried out inside of me, Abba, Father, Daddy, be with me. And I thought, if that's what happens when I'm at my lowest, I must belong to you. And even though I, I was mad at God, I shouted at him, I, I doubted him, I didn't want to do anything for him, I said, why didn't you protect my family if I'm going to go be a missionary? Can't our baby just live? Do I have to have legal problems and fears about coming back to America for a, a ticket? Can't you just come through for me, God? And he took all that, and he wasn't disgusted with me. He didn't reject me because I was mad at him. Instead, he slowly gave me a, a peace in my soul. And instead of making me bitter and rejecting him, he embraced me. He wasn't disgusted at my weakness, and he wasn't mad that I was hurting. He hurt with me. His heart was broken for our dead baby. God knows what it's like to lose a child. He was willing to comfort me. He's a gentle father. Every pain we have on the way to heaven, every pain we have on the way to heaven is a suffering with Jesus. It can be a suffering with Jesus. Not just persecution. Even headaches, being afraid of the dark, even anxiety about not having enough money to make it to the end of the month, traffic jams, bad bosses, rebellious kids. These can all be sufferings with Jesus, not just the big things. I used to think the only things that are suffering with Jesus are are when it's specifically because you're a Christian, something bad happens to you. Nothing else counts as a suffering with Jesus. But the reason I believe any suffering in life Any hardship in life can be a suffering with Jesus is because the devil wants to use all of your suffering to pull you away from Jesus. Every suffering is an opportunity to suffer with Jesus or to reject him. Every hardship is a chance for you to depend on Jesus or to reject him. In our life, all of our days are filled with these moments, little things. But if you walk through it with Jesus, it's one of these sufferings that Paul says, show our sonship, show our adoption, show that we belong to the Father. When you say, God, I'm so sick, I I wish I could die right now, can you help me? Can you be with me? Can you redeem that? Can you teach me something? You're, you're You're making little decisions to suffer with Jesus instead of rejecting him. Christianity is the only religion, excuse me, Christianity is the only religion with a suffering God. There's a lot of religions that can, can say God's in control of your life. 
they have a sovereign God. A lot of faiths have a sovereign God. A lot of faiths say, when bad things happen to you, look for what God's going to do with it. To say that we have a God that's sovereign or has a plan or is up to something big is not a specific Christian belief, even though it is true. But, but what is unique and specific to Christianity is that we say our God suffered for us and with us. Because Jesus doesn't say, suffer and trust me. He says, suffer with me. Jesus is, is Emmanuel, God with us. And Christianity is the only faith that has a God that wants to suffer with you. We all suffer. We all also enjoy life. Life is very, very good sometimes. God has been so generous to me. Sometimes, for no reason, I just kind of get choked up when I think about the privilege that to have kids, to love my kids, to, to have my wife, to love her. I just, it makes me emotional sometimes just to think about how good I have it and how kind God has been to me. And I want to enjoy all those good gifts that he's given to me. Friendship and nature. But the fact is that this life on earth, this vapor that we're living right now, also contains suffering. Acts 14 says, through many trials, we enter the kingdom. One thing I know, even though, even if I don't know you personally, I know everybody in this room is either in the middle of suffering right now, just finished with some suffering in their life, or about to begin suffering in some way in their life. And that's not to be cynical or negative. That's life. Everyone in this room. But today is the day to preach to your own soul. All suffering removes from us our props and our sources of happiness. All of our hardships are designed to make our faith stronger and to make us rely more on God, to build our faith. Tribulations serve our faith. Death belongs to us. And especially if, if you're not in the middle of suffering right now, make up your mind that this is true because uh, it's not helpful for someone to come and remind you of these truths while you're in the middle of it. Give people some space while they're suffering. So I want to say to you today um, to, to let this spirit of adoption in you, if you're a Christian, cry out to him and keep on crying out to him. And if you're not a believer, if you don't have this spirit of adoption, he wants to give it to you. I promise God wants to adopt you. You're here for a reason today. There aren't coincidences in life. God wants you to know what kind of God he is. And he would love to adopt you. He would love to run out to you and give you the robe and throw a party and make you his son or his daughter forever. God loves you very much. God loves you. God loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die in our place to make us his children. And what he asked from us is that we trust that. Let's, one last thing I want to say before I finish is verse 18. And I think it's interesting how the, the progress goes here where the, the Bible tells us about the gospel and this richness of inheritance and becoming sons of God, and then it goes right into suffering. Verse 18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And as I read that, the image that comes to my mind is just uh, some scales. The old, the old antique style where you put something heavy in one side, 
that you know the weight of to try to determine the, the weight of the thing you don't know the weight of. And it just doesn't compare. The suffering that we have right now in this life is nothing compared to the glory that is coming to us. And I, I preach this just because I need to believe it, and we need to believe it, that no matter what happens to us here on this earth, it's not worth comparing with the glory of God that's coming, the love he has for us and the plan he has for his kingdom in this world. The glory is coming. Let me pray. Father, thank you for um, adopting us, for making us your children, for overcoming our resistance and our rejection of you. Uh, For some of us, you overcame that rejection and resistance um, when we were really little and it didn't show itself up in in, uh, obvious manifestations yet. But the Bible tells us that our hearts hated you even from the beginning. And for some of us, Lord, we we lived our lives uh, apart from you for a season, and you overcame us. Whatever our story is, Lord, we praise you that we are a family because of Jesus, that you have rescued us and changed us. And we ask, Lord, that you will keep on reminding us of what's true, that we'll hear more and more the Spirit that's crying out, Father, inside of us, and that it wouldn't be choked out with the cares of the world. Thank you for this church, Lord, and and for the privilege this morning to gather together and praise you. We want you to be glorified in our hearts, God. We want you to be glorified in Hannibal and to the ends of the earth. So please, God, work in us and work in the world. Be glorified. Be praised. Please receive the glory that you deserve. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.